You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! Welcome to the TNT Review. This is Tim Jousma, and joining me all the way in Portland, Maine, it is the holiest of holies. It is the Reverend Tracy. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, uh, the Mr. Reverend is out of town. Funny enough, I wound up trying to help him like orchestrate a menu of stuff to buy. You know, because he has to live out of a hotel for a week, but we are also on a diet for health reasons. So I did want to give kind of a funny shout out to that there is a cookbook out there for people looking for something kind of idiot proof and simple. And mm-hmm. it is called The Vegan Stoner Cookbook. Yes, he is holding a little joint. He's a tomato holding a joint, but there's actually no weed recipes in this. It's <laughs> super, super simple, like vegan stuff. And a lot of it's like, you know, get a can of chickpeas or whatever. And like a few other things. And it's funny because their grocery list is literally pictures of what you need. So I think it's like not as intimidating of a cookbook. I don't know. I've had a lot of friends like ask me about going vegan recently. So that have been like kind of ending up giving that book out a lot. And then it was just kind of funny that I wound up having to break into it this week, like on the quick, because we had had this whole plan to sit and plan this together. And then we forgot until he was on the plane and then he remembered. <laughs> so we kind of did it over hangouts a little bit, but uh, you know, so these weeks are always kind Kind of the way they are kind of interesting how are things in your neck of the woods uh, they're doing all right they're doing all right i mean I, I, it, that is understandable with the the food situation because i think of like professional wrestlers and you know they're on the road almost virtually every day of the year and they also have to maintain a particular physique and to do that that you do have to eat right and you know if you're you know we're if you're constantly on the road and you don't have time to go to the right places then you're not always going to be able to get the right type of food and that can lead to some problems so i'm actually surprised you don't see a a more of stuff like that you know just something like real simple real real quick and real cheap because it sounds like they call it stoner workbook but i think the more stoner aspect is just like is the whole you know you only need two ingredients oh yeah or like five or six or something like that like it's very like low-key and it's fast too because really the idea is you want something without a lot of effort that's quick but also good and they have Mm. like pad thai like little curries and stuff that you make with like a (laughs) cup of soy yogurt so i thought that was cool and yeah like cooking on the road is kind of its own thing and i was a little shocked that nobody sells a kit like hey here's all of the things to cook mm-hmm. in a hotel which i mean i get that that's kind of like a very specific item to want but i was kind of surprised 
that everything was like camping sets, which he doesn't have. He's got like maybe a microwave or whatever. But yeah, yeah, the Mr. Reverend, you know, we're both on the plant-based diet for our own health reasons. And then he also needs to watch sodium. So the bad thing is, is sure, there's a lot of vegan frozen meals. However, if you know anything about sodium and like if you ever had to watch your sodium, you are super aware at how much sodium is in frozen foods. And unfortunately, that is something that carries over to that realm. So we're going to try to get creative. And I think I'm actually going to end up making him like a travel kitchen as a surprise and just put like, I don't know, like a little colander, like they make stuff that fold flat, right? Uh-huh. So I'm I'm trying to like put it together and that's my side little nerdy craft I think I'm doing is I'm getting oddly excited about making a portable kitchen. <laughs> well, being that uh, this is going to be shown in about four weeks now as we record this, hopefully the surprise will not be surprised by that time. So, you know, remember that if uh, once uh, the Mr. Reverend gets home and it gets about that time, so he doesn't listen to the episode first and realize he's going to get a gift. Oh, that's okay. The Mr. Reverend does not listen to our show. He <laughs> he loves me a lot, guys, but he's mm. just, uh, it's really kind of funny. Like, it's very much a, a, almost a, when people talk to us, they kind of expect this kind of yin and yang thing, I, mm-hmm. or, or they imply it a lot. Like, uh, my creativity, my teal hair, the gigs that I do and stuff like that. And then, you know, meanwhile, the Mr. Reverend is very, he, he comes high. off. Well, uh, we had a common friend for a little while that saw they saw a picture of him like when we first started dating and what was it that they said i think they said that he looked uh intense that's what it was they said that the mr reverend looked intense and you know he just has that kind of stern professionalism you know being a marine particularly he was in an instructor position i think Mm -hmm. it kind of does that to you right like you've been in a role where you're kind of living in your job right it's not like a lot of people who get to go home from management and be them later so i think that's where like a lot of that can change it but yeah he's kind of got that very like staunch professional vibe Mm -hmm. and (laughs) i guess people just assume that i uh, would annoy him for some reason. I don't know. I, I guess I take it negatively because that's just how I take those comments. So like, I'm not sure what you're going to imply. <laughs> <laughs> I bring up my creative side, you know, next to his very stone professional side, but he's got his creativity too. There we go. There we go. Well, as do we, and we are here to talk some more F is for family. We're going to be talking about episode three of season one here. That episode is called the trough. Yes. Really good episode. We're still doing a little bit of character introduction, but I feel this is the first episode where you really start to realize that the strike and that overall story is going to take off from here. Yeah. Like I, I felt like this was a good one for that. Like they're, they kind of indicated they're done with a little bit of the cute stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they went and evolved some people kind of in a little bit in a micro way, like they do. And now we're getting into more meat and potatoes of, you know, the, what we're going to really explore situationally with these characters for the season. So the season theme. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think you mentioned it on the last episode, too. Uh, Episodes one and two did kind of feel like a two-part, like one complete story. And now this is moving forward from that, you know, so we don't have that kind of stagnant feel that you had in episode two. And stagnant may not be the best word, but uh, hopefully you get my point there. Just It just felt like it was still the same. You weren't really moving forward. 
Right. Like that they were still kind of bringing us into that time capsule feeling, you know, mm-hmm. and I go into that a little bit in more details in my notes later, but, you know, Maureen being kind of the princess, Kevin being kind of how he is the, mm-hmm. you know, Bill, we're getting into that looking up to dad or not, which some of the themes that we go into today kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, they end up going to a game together. Indeed, indeed. Well, let's dive into it here. And speaking of that game, the first topic we can dive into is when a parent decides to take child number two to an event that child number one was supposed to attend. That's Frank, Kevin, and Bill's story. Um, it's it's a tale as old as time, um, but we've already established on the show that Kevin is having issues in school. Uh, it was discovered that those issues were continuing, so Frank decided to rescind an offer to go to a football game. Game and he offered that to his son, Bill. Right. And it's while you can appreciate the, the parenting to a point of Frank said, hey, if you want to do this, you need to get your homework caught up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like something that uh, it's unfortunate that kind of does seem to be more likely to happen these days is that, you know, parents will say, hey, kid, you need to do this. But, you know, if you don't, we're not going to do this thing. And then when it comes down to it, the kid doesn't do it. But then for some reason, the parent will then justify to still do this thing with the kid. Right. Like, and it stinks because sometimes it makes sense because sometimes it is like camps and things which aren't always just for the kid, like to have fun. These are things that teach them life skills. These are things that teach them how to go off and make friends and, you know, interpersonal skills and things like that. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, (laughs) so yeah, but so depending on what it is, it is hard to punish them from it. Um, But I will throw it out there that I do think it's really not so great parenting when you take another child in the place of. I think it would have made more sense. I know he had two tickets, but I think he should have asked one of his friends to go. Right. Because it's just one of those things that starts pitting relationships against each other. Like now Bill and Kevin probably are going to have issues just because even though Bill did nothing wrong, but take up his dad on an offer. He, there might be some issues there, right? Well, I got a story to tell you. Of course um, you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, It happened in 2009 in Sacramento. Uh, The WWE came to town for a pay-per-view. And while I wasn't a big fan of the product at that particular time, to me, uh, as a wrestling fan, if there's a pay-per-view, you go, you could be on TV. Um, And I I promised that my daughter could go at the time and um you know she was excited i mean she was a lot like bill in the sense that you know she was hero worshiping i don't know if she ever really liked wrestling but you know she was a daddy's girl as a kid so yeah. uh she went and um I, I forgot the specific reason if i'm if i'm not mistaken i believe it was something related to school but she did something pretty bad and ultimately we did have to make uh the, my my wife and i did make the decision that it was not appropriate for her to go so i ended up taking uh my oldest son and um, breaking that news to my daughter was fucking shitty. (laughs) Right. And it just kind of makes you wonder, would it have been as bad if it had not been, you know, because you you've got that disappointment of losing the thing that you really wanted. And then what stinks is like, instead of just dealing with losing the thing you're wanting, you're also watching your parent choose to do it 
with like somebody that maybe you do have a little bit of a relationship of competition with because that, and that's not saying that anything is is wrong with you choosing to do that or anybody. It's yeah, just, yeah. these are the kind of things I love to talk about because I don't think we necessarily think of it like in that full way of how something can affect a kid. I mean, look at how some kids react when they find out you've lied to them about Santa. Like <laughs> that can be a huge betrayal of trust, right? Yeah. And that's something so innocent that we wouldn't think of. And I even understand the logic like you don't want to waste a ticket. So of course you're going to take somebody in the family, but that's just something that when I've seen it practiced and I haven't had that happen that I can really think of, even though I do have an older sibling and trust me, I have had my situations of screwing up in my life, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. Maybe I just always had that people pleaser thing that I don't recall it ever being that I didn't get to do the thing. I'm normally really good about when it comes down to it, meeting a goal. So, uh, so I never experienced it, but I did have friends that did. And it was like an extra slap in the face that it was their sibling that got to go instead of them. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be clear, I, I want to make it 100% clear that this is one of those decisions that, you know, hindsight being 2020, if I could get into a time machine, um, I, I, you know, would have definitely given her a different punishment because she did, you know, deserve to have repercussions for not, you know, doing school oh, or yeah. whatever. That's and, and it wasn't exactly a thing that she failed to do, right? Like you didn't say, hey, you need to do all your homework, like in this situation. So there wasn't like that bargaining chip. So she just lost it, right? Yeah. Mm, I totally get that. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I saw that, you know, it was just like, oh my goodness, I've done that. I've, I've, I've been in, in, I've been in all their positions too. Cause I even remember as a kid, like one time my mother let my sister go to the circus and like with her friend. And I was like, can I go too? And she's like, no. I'm like, why? I don't care. You're staying home. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. (laughs) See, now we did have stuff like that. I remember the first time my brother got to fly to California to go hang out with my uncle, which uh, I have one uncle that I have all of the best memories with. He was like the really cool uncle. I loved him. Yeah, he lived in California. Mm -hmm. And so I was so jealous. And it wasn't anything like, if you do this, you'll get to go. It was just my uncle wanted us to come. He used to come visit us and he thought it would be cool to bring us to California, you know, life experiences. Mm -hmm. And I was going to get to go the next year. But my uncle lost his job so he couldn't afford to bring me out the next year and there was part of me that was still pissed about that like not at him because i know that wasn't his fault like even as a kid i kind of understood like that that wasn't his fault but he had worked for some kind of like production company like i forget they made some kind of tape i remember we had like all of them like he would send them to us but i don't remember ever watching them <laughs> sweating to the oldies no. <laughs> well i mean it wasn't porn or anything because i don't think that would have been kept out on our uh, our library like that i think it was like some kind of docu series or possibly like some kind of religious because that's you know uh, I, I don't remember if it was either bible related or documentary thing but i just remember i never had an interest in watching it and they were just always on the show <laughs> maybe it's both no so fun. <laughs> <laughs> and right. an added bonus porn that my brother accidentally recorded on the end of it hey oh he did do that to a tape once but it wasn't those <laughs> yeah there's a good story for the family reunion there i guess <laughs> i don't think he'll be too upset that I, I mean it's not like i flagged what his name is or anything yeah. <laughs> i have uh, it's not like he listens either right no I'm kidding. <laughs> no i don't think he does <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, move on to the next one here. And that is how it could be difficult to decide whether a complete stranger really needs help 
or whether you should avoid them. And that's Frank at the beginning. Um, and, and that incidence also ties into an incident at the end of the episode, but we'll uh, get, get into that momentarily here. But um, like on the one hand, Frank was being racist, but on the other hand, like, you know, it, it is a, t- a tough decision to, to want to help a complete stranger in, in a situation like that, especially, I mean, there are such things as bad neighborhoods, you know, I mean, there just are. So it's like, where does a person, you know, like you're walking a tightrope there. Like, how do you not become Frank while still protecting yourself, you know? Oh, exactly. And, you know, he had already mentioned that it was a bad neighborhood before he saw anybody. Mm-hmm. And there were other signs like other than just like, you know, black people walking on the sidewalks there. There were other like signs of disarray. And I think there's like a car alarm going off at one point when he had made the comment to Bill. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say. There's probably racism playing into that, right, because it goes into we don't always fully understand our animal brain in that what it is picking up and what it is deciding to find as a potential threat, right? Because that's what that animal brain is doing in those situations. And we don't necessarily get to control it. Um, I mean, hidden brain even went into that recently that there's, you don't really 100% know why you pick things. Why is your favorite color blue? You don't really understand that. This is something that your brain just decided. And so that being said, I don't know if I would necessarily say that Frank is a racist or that necessarily he was being racist in this situation. But at the same time, was there racism that played into it? Yes. And I don't know if I'm explaining that well, because this is like something that I just feel like I interpret scenarios like no, this I, a little bit. Okay. I, I, I get what you're saying. Like it's it's yeah. I mean, Frank in this episode, what he did, like I'm not saying like Frank, the character is like a card carrying member of the KKK or anything like right. that. We're talking he has unchecked biases in place here that um, that manifested themselves when that guy tried to ask for gas. Exactly. And, yeah. Because I think Rosie might be his only black friend. And back then that topic was very much I mean, it was just on the news. Mm-hmm. So there is that self-consciousness to those relationships. So I do believe Rosie's his only black friend and probably because they work together, which can add some strain and question to that, right? Like, are we friends or are we just coworkers? Yeah. But, you know, when you don't expose yourself to something or someone, a, a type of person, may it be like if they're like a, a bike, like a motorcyclist. There we go. Like, let's go into the tattooed up motorcycle gang people. Let's mm-hmm. try to do something that doesn't have the skin color as part of it. Now, there are people that are really unnerved when they see somebody that looks like that. And it's just because they maybe have not had a lot of time around people like that. And how is it portrayed on TV? Oh, that's the guy that's going to like find an excuse to have an issue with you so he can key your car and fuck you up. Mm -hmm. But like at the same time, you know what I feel when I have met and spoken to like most of those guys, like, first of all, most of them, especially if they're wearing like some of the, the jackets and stuff kind of explain an affiliation. There's a lot of religious ones and most of them are really sweet and really nice. And some of them even have like their adopted service animal, like on their motorcycle with them. Uh, But, you know, that stereotype is a thing that people I feel still kind of respond to in that way if you haven't been exposed to it. So that was all is that if Frank was in this situation and he saw what his brain interpreted as mm -hmm. strange land and strange people, it's going to react out of fear in that. So it just goes to show, I think, that 
have more friends expose yourself to things so that you can be less scared of them because i don't think you can fight that animal piece if you don't keep proving it wrong and, and yeah and i think the important thing here and like i don't know if frank ever does this in the episode here but this is like something i would say to just a regular person i guess this is one of those things to where you do want to think about those unchecked biases at times you know why did you react in a certain way and and it's possible for a person to you know, again, like I said, you know, like with the analogy you gave about the biker, you know, you can't think of racist as what you see on TV in terms of the two dimensional thing. I mean, racism comes in a lot of forms and a lot of times it's well-meaning people that just are make the shitty decision. And and you have to be able to admit to yourself that you have those biases and you have to do do your point and work on them. You do. Yeah. And even if you really think that you don't have them, like there's still a big importance in being open to maybe having them mm-hmm. or maybe developing them because things can be developed, too. So I, it just uh, to me, it's it was an interesting thing to watch play out in this episode, because do I think that Frank is a racist? No. But do I realize that he is not checking any way that he might be influenced by racism? Of course he's not. People definitely weren't having a lot of that talk back then. Uh Indeed, indeed. Now let's move on to the next topic here. Uh, This is uh, Sue and Maureen's story. Um, How demoralizing it must have felt for women in that day and age to see that they don't have many opportunities um, you know, in, in the workplace to get money. And also, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question. I don't think we're going to answer it within a short period of time, but what's changed for the better or worse since, you know, I mean, I, I think for the better, I think women have a lot, a lot more uh, employment opportunities than they did in the early seventies. They're not having to rely upon, uh, you know, the specified, these are okay because women can do this type of thing, like selling Tupperware or something like that. You know, um, what did you think about uh, uh, Sue's Sue's, uh, journey in this episode? Well, I think it's great because this is one of those things that we are going to see Sue's character. Like, it's going to be a theme for her as we go through these seasons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's going to be some things where she ends up going up the ranks a little in plasterware and hits a little bit of a ceiling there. Um, So it's it's going to be interesting to see that. I, I think they did a really good job expressing women being frustrated with this because this is definitely a time of that going on a lot in the background of society as well you had a lot of conversation around race and you also had a lot of conversation around around women and women's rights and whether or not Mm -hmm. they work um you know i know there's some funny quotes that we talked about a little bit more later uh (laughs) where you know maureen's talking to sue and you get where maureen's questioning that it's a job because well you're not given money like i mean she doesn't say it this way but Mm -hmm. i felt like for maureen the comparison was but you don't get money like daddy does so it's not a job like that child logic like starting to try to ask questions and put together things which i also thought was an interesting part of the story with maureen and sue is where we've got bill and we talked about how you know he's very much in that idol worshipy kind of time Mm -hmm. right 
And that's starting to take a change. And I think this is also where we're starting to see that change starting to happen with Maureen too, right? We're moving a little bit more away from being the princess. We're starting to ask questions. We want to understand how relationships in the world works. Mm -hmm. And I do think this is honestly where frustration comes between parents and kids sometimes. I I think it's it's just not understanding that that brain, that's where they're at. Like they do start to transition as little, little synapses start to connect and fire and stuff. And then they do start getting curious mm-hmm. about why things are and how to tell what they're going to do, because that's where their brain is ready for the next little step of them growing up into adults is putting together those skills. So I think they did a really good job with that transition with Maureen. And this episode, I think, makes it clear that that's what she's starting to go through with Sue. Um, but yeah, like so that that little thing playing on in the background and then also using that cute curiosity that happens when a kid starts to you know, wake up those parts of their brain to ask about relationships. It opens up this societal issue of women not really having an equal square spot in the workforce yet, but they wanted it. Many of them wanted it. But then at the same time, like men kind of didn't want it. And that came out in that conversation. Daddy says women only work when the husbands are in jail. Like there's pride there involved for Frank with Sue not having a job. And with Sue being kind of that peacekeeper, there's part of me that speculates if she knew that at this point, that it was kind of important for Frank for her not to make it a job. But at the same time, she has needs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think that's the important thing to, uh, that I'm, you know, keeping an eye on here for like the rest of this season and the rest of the seasons of F is for family here. Cause it, yeah, I mean, like the seventies were a weird transition time because you had a lot of, uh, you had like the economy going to hell, which, you know, put a lot more people into the workplace because they had to, uh, you had, uh, the divorce, uh, rules changing in the seventies as well, kind of mm-hmm. allowing women the freedom to break away from destructive marriages. And of course, if they do that, they're still going to have to make money. So they're getting into the workplace there. Um, but just, I, um, yeah, I, I I really dug this. Let's move on to the next one here. I, I, I kind of dug this story and that's how um, parents will try and impress their kids. And that's referring to Frank and Bill here. And I, I loved, um, you know, Frank, you know, when he has Bill at the football stadium and he's like lecturing him, lecturing him, like, do you know your old man did this? Do you know your old man did this? And it's like, I've done that before. <laughs> you know, you want your kids to idol worship you at times. And it was, it was uh, that that's what they were looking at. Yeah, it's it was cute. Um, I think it's funny because I kind of felt like Frank sort of was doing the same thing in the prior episode when he was taking Kevin to work and showing like all of the important stuff he did. Mm-hmm. He does for like the, you know, the airline and everything. Um, I mean, granted, this one had a very different tone to it. He was trying to teach a lesson to Kevin in the last episode. It just kind of reminded me of it in that sense. And so Frank seems to do this. He does want his kids to understand that he is important and of course he is like you know there there's a lot of uh stank put on that attitude and granted there is a toxic level of that attitude of coming home and be like i am important yeah but there is a level that you should want to be recognized that you have value and are important and that's what frank wants his kids to see and this kind of is funny because i felt like it points out and it was something the way that you phrased it in your notes you know as i was getting ready that i kind of have this um 
personal sort of theory. And that's just because I think a lot about kids and how we interact with them largely because I'm a stepmom and I want to try to do it right. Mm-hmm. So I, I do try to read stuff about, you know, why kids are the way they are and the different phases they're going through. And so I find it interesting because in general, human psychology, we do tend to mirror back like treatment and stuff like that. So when I put that together, I kind of personally find it amusing that kids very much do this, that they want you to be impressed with what they do, that, you know, they'll come home and tell you how they did on just whatever the most boring assignment that, you know, you might catch yourself rolling your eyes at in your head. But what's funny is I think that's what you need to catch Uh because is that not what kids eventually start doing to their parents when their parents try to tell them things that they're proud of? They start rolling their eyes, right? So it goes back to we have this very interesting relationship with our kids that I think in a weird way we feed into. This to me is almost a sweet like opposite spot of it, right? Like you're almost teaching a kid how to relate by trying to relate to them. Right. So by Frank being excited, like it does come off kind of annoying because of, of, you know, his kind of how he's coming off is that he's really pushing it on to Bill, how cool this is. And to me, I think the reason that it comes off kind of frustrating and annoying in this situation is it almost felt like somehow he was still gloating to Kevin, even though Kevin wasn't in the room. And he was talking to Bill like it it just felt like him doting on Bill about how all this awesome shit he was going to be had like a sub narrative of this is the shit that Kevin's missing out on. Remember the last conversation in the car in the previous episode when um, Kevin they're on the drive home, the episode's ending and Kevin's, you know, telling Frank about, oh, you have to take that shit from the woman into your mouth. And like that whole conversation, I think, yeah, yeah, it was, it was very much in contrast to that because like, on the one hand, Frank hearing Kevin, you know, say all that about his work, you know, like, yeah, like I, I, I've been there myself when you think that way about your job. But on the other hand, too, it is also your job. You don't want to think that your job is a soul draining mess. You want to think you do something proud. So yeah. I get, yeah, I, I get that he's doing it more than anything. He's probably just trying to convince himself too, because I don't get the impression that Frank is long for management. <laughs> You will see. It mm-hmm. might not be as short-lived or anything as you see, as you think. I mean, I have no idea what's going on in your head. There is a journey with his career with the airline. There's even an interesting like overall story with the airline. And mm-hmm. that goes into, I don't know how much I would want to spoil for you because am I okay with sharing spoilers with you that are within the same season? Or do I have a rule where it's just none at all? <laughs> um. Well, let's... I mean, we'll for play me, in my ear mostly. I figured I could. Ask yeah. You. Well, like for me, like. I'm, I'm I don't usually mind spoilers, but, you know, we got we got to take into account that we have people listening here, too. So yes. just in case there are people that have not seen future yeah. episodes of. And I, I do try yeah. to be vague about them, at least with at least the spoilers I've brought up so far. I, I try to be vague. So I will still continue to try <laughs> to be vague. But yes, there there is some journey with um, Frank's career that is interesting. And then plays into the complication with what we were just talking about with Sue. Uh So see, those two stories are going to converge. And I love how much they're kind of setting it up where it doesn't feel forced later. 
Indeed, indeed. All right. I think we need to move on to the next topic here. And I, I really love this uh, little sidetrack story, and that's avoiding an annoying acquaintance. Um, that's Sue's story. She uh, runs into an acquaintance at the mall, and that woman talks her ear off. That woman in question who played uh, her uh, acquaintance was uh, Mo Collins, who worked on uh, Mad TV. Um, and if you ever watched that show, she was Stewart's mother. You know, with the perfect Midwestern voice and everything, but just, you know, everybody has a person like that in their lives, just a person that they want to avoid, but for whatever reason, they don't, you know? Well, or can't, right? Because it's still in that medium-sized town view. Mm. That's the way I kind of see this town that they live in. It's not really small. Like, they don't know everybody, but they do know their cul-de-sac. And I think Jenny actually lives in their cul-de-sac. I don't remember for sure. Because you're noticing as you go down the street and you realize like where Mr. Hitler lives <laughs> and um, everybody it's that they're in the same little row. And that's why they're so like connected to each other and tend to see each other all the time. You know, it's a little bit more obvious. Goomer's like right next door. Vic right next door on the other side of him and then babe. And I forget the wife's name. I don't think we've met her yet. No. Um, you've met babe's son because it's babe Bonfiglio. And so Philip Bonfiglio is his kid, um, you know, and you'll start putting together. It took me forever to realize that though. Like it mm-hmm. took a really long time to put together that that was the, the dad of Bill's friend, Phil. Um, but that, that plays out over time. Okay. All right. Um, well, then, yeah, let's go to the next topic then here. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's really a thing today. I think this is one of those things that is uh, of the 70s, but that's how intimidating it can be for a boy to use a public restroom. And this is uh, Bill's story in here. And um, he's at the game. And uh, as the title of the episode implies, he's at the P trough. Now, I don't know if major stadiums these days have p troughs anymore it's honestly been a long time since i've seen one of those super long ones but like um and you would never know i i know that but yeah um, i'm just i'm just sitting here struggling like shrug city guys yeah you know i use the one that's got the things i sit on like that's the bathroom i go because you know i sit (laughs) i go to the sit one if you stand then go to the stand one like that's the way i kind of see those bathrooms Yeah, the, the yeah, but like I, I loved Bill's fear. I mean, because it was very realistic. Because you know, because again, with the trough, the pee trough is just all along the wall, and all the guys are just standing there, and it's just like you know, like I, I got I got his mindset of yeah, you know, I'm gonna hold it, <laughs> you know, and like I said, I have not seen those pee troughs anymore. So good if they've gotten rid of them, and it's it, we're not talking like a urinal. A urinal is like one individual thing. The pee, the whole long shared trough thing i never got that that was bizarre right and dirty right like was it dirty okay because that's what i thought for being somebody who's never walked in there so this is actually a definite kudos for them then i felt like they really set the scene of why that would be disturbing Mm -hmm. um, to go into and deal with that like on your own for the first time 
especially like, you know, uh, Frank not necessarily thinking about it, right? Because at this point, he's probably so desensitized to it. And that might not have even been so much of a thing when he was a child. So it's possible that he didn't get introduced to that until he was older. And it was never an experience that was jarring for him. Mm -hmm. So maybe it never even crossed his mind that it would be jarring for a child to go in there. But I do, I think that that was a really good scene. I loved that blank look and that song that plays. Um, this is one of those things that it is a reoccurring thing they do. It's a really solid callback to this moment because you do, you come back to this moment with Bill, the few other times they've done it. They even did it with another character being Uh traumatized after seeing like a birth video or something like one of the old, uh, one of the adult men without spoiling it. Like they end up doing the same thing and it's that same do, 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 like the same music and everything, (laughs) the same, like staring off the walking and people passing like uh, like just passing by people and stuff like just pe- kind of existing in the background as they walk traumatized away from the situation so i think it's like a really solid bit but also kind of points out that i don't think we necessarily think about what experiences can be like for a kid when you didn't have to experience that as a kid you or, don't know how messed up or traumatizing or gross or whatever it may be or most importantly, like not taking the, the time to think, could this be traumatizing? Because like as an adult, Frank, I'm sure has probably gone into uh, if a similar situation think, and just thought you did his thing and then left. But you're not thinking like a 10 year old at that time, you know, right. when like like if everybody's taller than you in that particular situation, like, yeah, I, I, ew, I, ew, yeah. Yeah. And not that there is anything wrong with, with allowing <laughs> him to go to the bathroom or that, you know, Frank should have thought of that. Like, no, no, no. It's just, it's understandable. And uh, I think the only difference is like, you know, nowadays a child might be more likely to bring up that it bothered them and maybe mm-hmm. just helping unpack it. Right. right. Like at least uh, it does seem to be a little bit more normalized for kids to bring up when they see something that makes them feel uncomfortable. I think more parents encourage that than, you know, the ones that scream, you know, don't say gay at my school. Uh, <laughs> you know, most people I think are open to having those conversations with their kids and hopefully unpacking it after the fact. But hey, would it hurt like if you get that parent brain, right? Because hey, any any mom out there, especially when they're like shaming the stepmom that hasn't birthed children themselves, will tell you, you know, you must start thinking of certain things once you've birthed a child. So just throwing it out there, like that wouldn't be a bad way to try to think about it. Like when you know your child is about to experience something new. Ask yourself two questions. How did you experience it as a child? And if it's not relevant to that, like, how do you honestly think a child would experience that? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, it's just not a bad pass. You you don't need to helicopter them completely, but you're allowed to troubleshoot some of that stuff and help introduce things that might be awkward for them. (laughs) At least be there. Like, like the first time you introduce them to that, like in a a big setting, like be in the bath or like be outside the bathroom. Or if it's like a movie theater, like there are ways you can let your kid do that and let them know that you're protecting them without, you know, without helicoptering. Helicoptering is not good because you're not going to be able to stop every bad thing from happening to your kid, despite how hard you try. Right. But establishing that relationship of trust by, you know, at least trying to introduce them and give them expectations before they go into a situation Mm -hmm. really does build trust with your child. 
like more than necessarily, you know, being ready to to triage something, not thinking of it, right? Because you can kind of establish that pattern that you are trying to be there for them, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily trying to make them avoid experiences, but giving them kind of expectation management. You know what I mean? Indeed, indeed. All right. Got a couple more topics here we're going to dive into. This is Kevin's story. And I kind of liked how the, this played out in the episode. And that's how hard it can be for kids to understand their parents. Now, at the beginning of the episode, obviously, we find out he's in trouble with his grades. So he's not going to the football game. His dad and Bill are gone. Maureen and his mother are gone. So what does he do? He does the smart thing. He leaves the house with a record and smokes some weed. But doing that, smoking the weed, he actually reflects on his parents. And and it's like, I don't think he came to an answer, but I think he realizes that there's a lot more going on in life than, than him. And I think that that's an important thing for teenagers. Like it, it, it'd be scary for teenagers too, realizing that you're just a small cog in a big machine that is called life and that the world does not revolve around you. Right. And even more than that, your parent, your parent's life does not revolve around you. He's got frustrating relationships at work. He's got to manage. He's got a job to do. He's got people he's got to jump through hoops and impress. Frank's life is not easy and 100% just revolving around his kids. Mm -hmm. So there is a little bit that going on. I did think it was like really kind of funny that he went off to go get stoned with his friends. (laughs) He used an album I guess they used to listen to when he was a kid. And that was what spun him into some kind of vision of flashback sort of thing. This is something that I'm just now realizing probably I should have put in the bad. I don't like it necessarily when they make pot look like a hallucination experience because I have yet to ever meet anybody that has hallucinated from doing the weed. Um, But yet I just feel like they do that a lot with it. That that is like the go-to interpretation. So I don't know with the the whole like misinformation on drugs and how they work in general. It's a peeve of mine, and I feel like every show does it. Maybe it's because there's just not a better way to like give a, a an artistic interpretation of what it's like to just be high. Because can it make you reminisce and go back? Yes. Now are you going to have like a whole visual audio hallucination experience? Uh, not unless it was laced with something a lot stronger than that. And I I think, and I get your point here too, because like on the one hand, I think, I I think the, the, the writers would probably explain it as, you know, this is just an artistic representation. It was not meant to replicate an actual experience on marijuana, but to your point, that doesn't matter because people have this perception that it's this big scare. Some people have this perception. It's a big, scary drug comparable to heroin. And when you have constant images like this in your entertainment, that's going to lead them to continue to believe this nonsense. Right. Like we don't do it with alcohol. We managed to kind of display that uh, even in my younger cartoons before they made it where you couldn't do that anymore. There was bubbles and hiccups and stumbling and slurring. And I'm like, okay, well that's all very realistic two things people do when they are drunk. And it's just interesting that I I have not really felt that they uh, represent this correctly for what it is. Like if you're going to represent how a drug affects the body, I just wish they would do it more, you know, truthfully, you know, we do it for others, but not, 
marijuana. And I think that's just overall some of the stuff that feeds into why it's still federally illegal, like little things like this. Like, yeah, I mean, like one thing they could have easily done. I mean, they were all like, like under a highway overpass or something like that, smoking the weed. The kids were, and yeah. they were all sitting on a ratty couch. Like they're smoking weed. They couldn't sleep. He couldn't have had a dream and imagine that entire sequence uh, as it was. You needed to have him hallucinating on a drug you don't hallucinate from. Because, <laughs> you know? right. Like, I just didn't feel like that it was a memory lane thing. I felt like it was a very much put out there as a hallucination. And so a minor little quick correction. I guess I can't think of a show that's displayed it well. And that would be that 70s show. Because they just, you know, it was hazy. Mm-hmm. They'd laugh. If anybody was new, they'd get like, or maybe there would be a topic and someone would get the extra giggles. So I, I think there we go. There was, there's one that does it, but I just feel like a lot of shows like go to this interpretation of weed. And, and it's one of my unfavorite things about uh, some of our programming. Yeah. And, and to me, I guess that would be comparable to like every time on sitcoms, you see like a pastor, he's, he looks like a Catholic priest, regardless of his denomination, he's wearing the collar. Exactly. You know. Like it, it's so it's yeah, there you go. It's lazy. It's, lazy, <laughs> it's but. just lazy. So I think that's just there's this laziness with how we um, how our programming displays like how weed works. And I wish people would be less lazy about it because I know it's just a cartoon. But that's the point of why we nerd out about this. Right. It's like these weird things that we feel like just get normalized in our shows. And it's just one of those things. I just don't think that we've evolved much on it. Well, and yeah, I mean, you, you have to keep an eye on that because like, if you don't check these ridiculous things that are coming up, you're bound to believe them. <laughs> you know? mm, right. I mean, I mean, we know this is not true about marijuana yet. This is in our public discourse in our entertainment and, and like, you know, just because you and I happen to know this knowledge that marijuana does not cause this. What about, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean everybody else is going to have that knowledge either. Right. But if you normalize a narrative, may it be in a show like this or whatever, like you're going to create that narrative in people where they just think that it's fact that they've learned when really it's just a narrative that it's been in their mind for as long as they can remember. Maybe. I mean, I was trying to think of something. I had an example there and I totally lost it talking about like the whole narrative thing. But yeah. All right. Yeah, and if you think of it, we'll uh, definitely dive yeah, into it. We'll, How about we'll we go back to it? Yeah, we'll dive into the last topic here. And this kind of ties in, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to uh, the experience that Frank had. Oh, sorry. Before Frank, I didn't remember it. My bad. There's a really good John Mulaney joke that ah. I think kind of points it out. There are a lot of kids for a little while that was afraid of quicksand. Because of cartoons, right? Like you're nodding your head. Didn't quick like his joke, um, because I don't want to like phrase close to it and somebody say I'm stealing it. But basically, I think he says something along the lines like I thought quicksand would be a much bigger problem than it turned out to be because of how much it was in cartoons, right? It could just be random. You can't tell where it is. So like as a kid, I remember really being concerned, like being in areas where any of the mud looked like mushy at all, like even around the Colorado River. Because I believed that I knew this because of this dumb thing that was in a lot of cartoons. Mm-hmm. So there, there's the 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 whole the weird little programming thing that I thought of. You Sorry about it. that, guys. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I have ADD. It's my bad. 
All right. Well, let, yeah, let's dive into the last one here. Um, as I mentioned, this ties into the uh, scenario at the beginning of the episode where somebody asked Frank for gas. And uh, the topic here is how the news media will cherry pick something to create a story. And, you know, in this particular instance, you find out that the person who uh, asked Frank for gas was the news reporter dressed up like a black man. What the news cherry picking to make something sound like something it's not. Excuse me. <clears throat> Tale as old as time. <laughs> Still doing it today. You know. <laughs> so it's really kind of funny that you interpreted it that way because I'm like, oh yeah, totally. That's what he was doing. And it even goes into um uh even picking to do it at all, like going undercover, because I, I think it's funny. You find out that the person in the beginning was actually Jim Jeffords in blackface because uh-huh. really that's what he was doing. He did the whole makeup and, uh, you know, his hands were white, which is funny. If you go back and rewind, you could see that they did not, they actually left that as a little bit of a, a, a tip for people who were watching. If you were paying attention to that, I didn't notice. Um, that was a total surprise to me at the end, but I did notice in the rewatch that his hands are white in that original scene. <laughs> um, but yeah, like cherry picking it and calling him racism in America. Which is really funny because Jim is kind of racist. Like we've even kind of put it together with how nonchalant he was putting his foot in his mouth in the first two episodes. Yeah. Like in a way, because they did so well with introducing him, even though he's not a main and he's had little screen time, it seemed really ironic and kind of hypocritical for him to be taking a story about somebody else without understanding the full context of that human's reaction and saying there is a racist that that's what that looks like. It's not me. It's that right there. (laughs) And that is the danger of the news. I mean, I remember back uh, when I worked at Best Buy in Sacramento, uh, one time our store was hit by one of those uh, private, uh, by one of those news investigators. Uh, They they were doing a story on how good the geek squad was. Um, And it was one of those deals to where like, they will take a desktop computer, pull out one plug and then bring it to a repair place to see how quickly they can find the problem. And, um, the the news person like gloated over the fact that the repair ended up taking like an extra amount of time when all that was really the problem at that particular location with that geek squad is that they just, they didn't handle their paperwork good. (laughs) Again, it's, I mean, I had some, I had so much fun with those geek squad agents. I called them the D squad afterwards because like the, the investigative reporter went to a couple of other places in in the store. Um, Our store got a D uh, for, our service but again uh what was happening is that that investigative reporter was cherry picking the results just for what i mean like it, it, i i would have been sh- i would not have been shocked if i found out like the 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 computer shops that he gave an a that he somehow knew the owner you know oh maybe but that's also just reporting bias right like reporters can have bias And I think for a while there, that's why people did have a trend of following their favorite talking heads, right? You develop trust if you vet their stories or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I think it's just kind of that almost overcorrect where we've trusted like kind of our own talking head too much to the point that it's almost a drinking Kool-Aid level, right? No, so, it, for uh, some people it is. Some oh, people for some it people is. it yeah. very much is. I, I I just I hesitate to make it a very firm label because I don't necessarily think people um 
do it on purpose. I think some do, like some very much like will only take in people who agree with something they believe. And meanwhile, other people, you know, they really feel like they have vetted this person, this source, and that they can find it trustworthy. And so they've stopped, you know, so now they're still listening to that, but they don't know necessarily if there's been any like evolution in that. It's like, I, I used to listen some of my favorite ones. I don't anymore because they finally hit a topic or did something where I was like, mm, this feels like you're picking to either elicit my emotions or get clicks, which is usually what they're doing when they're trying to elicit your emotions. Yeah. And I still allow myself to be open to that with people that I listen to, which is, I think, a step that some people forget to do, right? They develop this really hardcore trust. And then it's like, nope, you, I'm going to trust everything you say. And I don't need to worry about passing it through any additional filter. But for me, it's like, I'll just say, it, I used to really love Rachel Maddow. I used to like her a lot. And for me, what disappointed me was the tax return episode she did mm-hmm. because yeah, she built it up, built it, it up. Yep. And it was, I was so frustrated because it was absolutely nothing. And so she got a bunch of people thinking, you know what I mean? Like me- she messed with my emotions and I was upset with it. So I, I just, you know, you, you can use moments like that to still check stuff, but yeah, like back then you had your local news. That's what you had. You didn't have the internet where you can go shop around. So super more susceptible to it, I would think. Yeah. And, and I, it's going to be thinking lately, like we don't really need 24 seven cable news. It, we don't. I mean, it's like the reason we th- we think there are big problems in the world is because the news media has trained us. There are, and I'm not talking about the obvious. I'm not, what I'm talking about is how the fact that the news media can manipulate you. It's a business. They want you to come back. And the only way you're going to come back is if they give you a reason. And like, again, I, you know, 24, seven, like, like, Let's take what's in the news today with the situation in Ukraine. I mean, is watching the news every single day as just an average citizen going to change anything? Is is that that's we're talking about a story that is that let's be honest here, unless a miracle happens, is gonna we're talking this is gonna be something that's gonna be dealt with for years. So constantly watching the news about it as just an average citizen is not going to help. You're not a politician. You're not in Washington. You're not really going to be able to help by getting the information that you're hearing on the news. And that's not even taking into account the talking heads. I mean, every cable news station has talking heads. And it seems like even if they do have regular news, the news will like uh, they will report it, but then they will go to here is this contributor here and here's this contributor. You still have to hear people's opinions. And I don't want to hear that. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, you know, that have been looking into it for a minute now, anxiety in the 24 hour news cycle and how that's contributed to our culture's anxiety. You also look at the 24 hour news cycle. And one of the points you made that I remembered reading um, back when I was challenging stranger danger, because I was taught stranger danger. And then I started learning things about like, you know, abuse in children. It's like, why is this being done by almost no strangers? Why is everybody teaching me to be afraid of strangers? And a lot of it, when I was looking into it before, came from missing kids reports. And when you've got a 24-hour news cycle that you need to fill, you're going to fill it. And so people, because people care about kids, they, you know, you start hearing about more kids. Yeah. Like not that there were actually any more 
But a lot of people felt like there were more because suddenly with the 24-hour news cycle becoming so live, they were just way more aware of it and how common things happen. But, you know, uh, so it kind of caused this alarm. And uh, there's a lot of people who speculate that that has a lot to do with why stranger danger like took off the way it did. And, you know, reading into it further, you can kind of find out that the stranger danger mentality is not necessarily good. Like maybe it wasn't a great thing to teach like about two generations of children to dis- distrust people, like just, just in general, like, yeah. just don't trust them. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Don't trust people. But then they look out their window. It's like, you know, <laughs> you know just like life, yeah. it, you know, it, I, I I remember a news report about a woman that, you know, thought stranger danger. I mean, she was like a a doctor or something like that. And she thought stranger danger was kind of ridiculous. So she taught her kid in New York city. Um, She let her kid go to school on her own and use the subway on, on their own. And the kid was only nine. And, you know, for, for me, something like that, I I don't know. I I wasn't comfortable with, with that when I was, you know, when, when my kids were that young, I don't think I'd be necessarily comfortable with that level of freedom for a kid that young today, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of what we know about this stranger danger stuff is just bullshit. Like a lot of stuff we're taught. Yeah. A lot of that stuff is just no, no way. No. And it really just kind of makes sense. Like yeah. if you think about it, that maybe teaching what you're active, what you're kind of doing, I don't want to say actively, but what you're kind of maybe unintentionally doing with the stranger danger thing is teaching hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. where hypervigilance didn't need to be learned. Right. Because ultimately, most people are actually kind of good. I know we share a lot of a lot of memes about narcissists and shit like that, but you know, most people generally pretty okay. Like they might have a little bit of their shadow work they could use to do, but you know, they're not going to be stealing your kids, keying your car and, you know, robbing you. Right. Uh, yeah. So let's move on here to some of our favorite lines. We have some really good ones in this episode. Yes. I really love like kicking off uh, with this episode, the TV Jesus commercials. Did mm. you ever see those growing up? Because I think they nailed it. Um, you know, it's kind of just got this little scroll at the bottom where you can call this phone number, you have phone numbers and you can call. So the phone lines were big in the seventies, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so you see this like guy dressed up as Jesus and just <laughs> the way that they made it creepy with tell Jesus your secret, like was so great. And I just, I think about that like randomly sometimes. So to me, it's like, that that's an excellent moment. Even if it's not technically a quote, it's an excellent moment. Oh, man. I recently uh, watched the movie The Eyes of Tammy Faye on HBO Max, and that brought me back to um, just the joys of uh, televangelism in the 80s and how crazy um, that could be. I mean, they did a lot of wacky things in in, uh, religion land, but... um, one quote I liked here uh, was right around that same time uh, I was on the TV. And it was uh, it was Cole Luger, the world's oldest profession, and the prostitute says prostitution, prostitution. And, and he goes smacking broads. <laughs> yes, it, I loved yeah. the smacking broads. That was <laughs> danger with a D cup this week on an all new Cole Luger. <laughs> So, yeah, they hit you strong with the TV at the beginning, and I loved it. Um, I also loved Kevin whenever uh, he was being confronted by Frank about not doing his homework. He goes, it's history. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, and uh, kids will make 
declarations like that, not realizing how silly they sound. And I did too, not throwing stones. I did too, but. Oh yeah. And then like right after that, this one line from Vic, like I just, there's something very phonetic about it that I find enjoying, but Vic talking about his, uh, his, um, What's he got a lizard? And he goes, he got into my booger sugar. Now he thinks he's a dinosaur. <laughs> and like the lizard's eyes are going everywhere. Just a lot of really good subtle comedy in that moment. Oh, n- another Kevin line. Uh, he's such a jerk. He's a bigger Hitler than Mr. Hitler's brother, Hitler. And I really love the genuine look of confusion. If you watched Sue's face, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I love that they play the the physical reactions. Not everything's verbal. They're really good at that. And that's a trend I've loved in cartoons in general, that they do nonverbal reactions that you can kind of need to look for sometimes. Yep. What's uh, your next one here? So, um, Next, I th- you'd have the uh, the Maureenism. Oh, <laughs> daddy! I, I, I had brought it up earlier about daddy said moms only work when the dad's in jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pe- people still think that way. Um, I, I love this line. Uh, the CEO of the airline had a, a girlfriend or wife named Brandy, and like the way she said it, the way the actress said it, we're drinking brandy, and my name is Brandy. Isn't that funny? <laughs> the way she said it i i lost it i know and then, and then uh you know jenny we had already brought her up pretty much all of the lines like there wasn't one quote like every little snippet that it went back to her talking about her marriage failing was great i did everything he asked we haven't had sex facing each other in over 10 years i cut my hair short i started wearing men's cologne and he won't touch me like <laughs> mo collins is great like i she, i could yeah i want all of her lines to be improv i don't know too much about her um you know like i do like in big mouth i talked a lot about like maya and i know that she is uh she does improv and comedy so i do know that she tends to improv some lines when she's working but mm-hmm. there's just so funny and so i hope that she's at least involved in the writing but i feel like that happens when you have a character that makes so much sense and like nails lines in a way um yeah. you know they tend to be more involved in their writing i feel all right uh this this bit here reminded me of my sister um where bill says don't make me snitch on him and maureen says that means yes my sister would have done that all the time (laughs) and then the last quote we have which also i think goes into this overall theme that we've talked about like in our our culture right from frank i spent 700 bucks on a tv so i can watch a family being happy so zip it right let me because I think it was very representative when they went in um, in the first episode to get the color max. Um, and then they brought it into the home. And that was something that we had mentioned about like, this was kind of a time where we saw that we went from necessarily doing a lot of stuff as a family together to being the thing that we watched TV together. You watched the, you know, the cleavers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of a little bit of that transition in time. So not only was it a funny quote, I also thought it was really great because it kind of really drives in that point of what we're seeing is also the introduction of a TV to this family. All right. Well, I think we're at a spot where we can uh, talk about the good of the episode. What do you have for us? What did you like about episode three? I loved this episode. I love the story development between Kevin and Frank and even just a lot of Kevin's, you know, character himself kind of coming out in this one. But Frank set a stipulation. Kevin didn't do his homework. So uh, Bill, I also loved as another funny, super literal moment from Kevin, by the way, (laughs) was whenever like he drives away with Bill, right? And Sue uses the metaphor with Kevin that, you know, 
well, you made your bed. And Kevin yells back at her, not yet. I'll, I'm, I'm sorry, not yet, but I'll get to it. Get off my back. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh. you know, you get that's hyper literal. It, it's part it's it's the comedy that they use with Kevin. Um, that is a bit that really works with that character. Well, he'll just get really, it kind of reminds me of like dumb blonde jokes, uh-huh. like in a way, like we're sometimes that hyper literalness. So in a sense, I think it really works for Kevin's character when they do it. Um, I did love that by the end of it, he recognizes he loves his family at the end of the day, his little quote vision where he has, I think a flashback. Cause again, was he visualizing something or was he going back in time? It was a little unclear, but he's talking, you know, he's hearing his father saying that there may be days we don't get along, you know, but I'll always love you. Granted, that's what makes me kind of wonder if it's actually a flashback, if it's just something he's making up because Frank doesn't really seem that in tune with his emotions. I mean, granted he was a kid at the time he's remembering this, but um, I'm just not sure that that made sense to me entirely in that scene, but I still thought it was a beautiful sentiment. And I think they covered it without feeling really forced or corny, even the friends reactions when Kevin comes out of it, because I can get like catching yourself saying something out loud. It's like, I'm sorry. Things got so messed up, daddy. <laughs> it felt very genuine. Um, and it also was a really good way to bring you back into the comedy world. Yeah. Right. Um, because that was kind of a little bit of a serious moment, even kind of somber in a way, especially when you come back and he's crying. But they managed to still make it funny, which I think was really cool. I also really love the side part of, you know, at the end of this, when he's racing to get home with, you know, Kevin's little side adventure of uh, the mention, the evolution of, quote, Mr. Hitler's story from the kids. Because mm-hmm. I think for me, Mr. Hitler is when the kids are making up stories about the old man. Mr. Uh, uh, he- he- oh gosh, I always want to call him Mr. Hefe Weissen, and I know that's not right because that's a beer. Um, <laughs> it's on your mind, yeah. <laughs> but you know, whenever it's like the Mister, like that's more of the actual character. But Mr. Hitler, kind of, you know, <laughs> getting to evolve is the the neighborhood story of the kids who were scared of him. That Kevin seeing the Star of David and thinking it was a pentagram. It was innocent, but it was also funny. And I think they handled it very well without accidentally being offensive. Like I did feel very much this was a child's innocence and something that wasn't explained. They'd never been exposed to Judaism, didn't seem to know what the Holocaust was. So he just didn't know what any of it was. So it goes back to what you're not familiar with is kind of scary because that's just our how our animal brain deals with things we're not familiar with with high skepticism and it tends to go towards fearing it or avoiding it than learning about it but i did think it was just very cute very funny this is a joke that's going to play on they they call back to him being a satanist later and it's really it's a good funny bit in the beginning and they do eventually get away with that because the kids do get to know him so mm-hmm. kind of enjoy the children making up a mythical creature in their neighborhood <laughs> while it lasts. I think it's a very sweet, innocent side of the kids. Um, I also really loved some of the character development we got going with Maureen. I did kind of cover that earlier. You know, she's getting into that inquisitive age, which I think is very natural. And it's also going to cause a little bit of strife between her and her mother, um, who she has a very close relationship. And uh, she's even starting to voice opinions like she didn't want to go to the mall. And that was difficult for Sue for a minute. Let's see. Uh, We talked about Frank displaying discrimination with the stranded black man on the corner. He yells, don't kill me. I have a family. And then it turns out to be Jim Jeffords doing a special. I like that that played out in a way. Um, As much as I 
I've got my my bad note later that I'll get to kind of on that whole scenario in general, but mm-hmm. I did like seeing it allow a representation of that doubt with Rosie, right? I mentioned earlier, does Frank have black friends or does Frank have a black coworker that he does his best to get along with and how that can be a question with people, right? Like, is this person actually my friend or is it that we just work together and they honestly would have never given me a chance or time of day or anything have we not be working together? So in a way, I really loved overall that playing out the way it did. I loved it because they found a way to kind of express that doubt from Rosie mm-hmm. without having to get into his head. So I thought that was a very creative way to do that. And then the last of the good stuff that I'll get into um, character introduction, you know, you get introduced to Mr. Dunbarton, who's the big boss and is now suddenly more relevant to Frank. Um, I thought it was also side note, really cool. That conversation really kind of shows that he was getting probably what Bob Pogo heard from him, right? Because we had that whole, you spin your bullshit downhill. Uh So that was Dunbarton spinning his bullshit directly to Frank. And some of that, you know, kind of toxic corporate mentality that, you know, I want to see our culture continue to move away from. Also good character introduction of Brandy. I will leave it out. She develops a lot more than you would think from being the, the, my name is Brandy. And I still love that moment where uh, (laughs) that power dynamic where Dunbarton tells her like, don't get a hot dog, Brandy. I'm telling you, I'm going to cut you off. You're getting fat. And she goes around the corner. like, fuck him. I'll eat what I want. (laughs) (laughs) And it's great because in a way, I think it does kind of display an attitude that she will need with the challenges that come up with her character later. And then we already talked a little bit about it, but Jenny, the introduction, the introduction, the introduction of Jenny, she is another one that will take journey on. Um, There will be ebbs and flows in her love life that we'll get to follow. I really like this person and I, I've totally forgot that she was Joan Calamezzo in Parks and Rec. So she worked with a lot of my favorite improv people, Amy Poehler. Um, the, uh, I always forget the guy that plays Ron Swanson when I'm on the spot, but I really love him too. He is with Amy Poehler doing a DIY craft show. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really, really funny guy. She also did voice work on King of the Hill, which we brought up as kind of one of the feelings of inspiration for the show. It kind of reminded us a lot of King of the Hill. So I thought it was really cool that she happened to do voice work just like four episodes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one funny side story. So when Mr. Reverend and I were watching the last uh, season when it came out recently, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, like we had finished the season, I think it was like a week or so after we had finished my brain, you know how your brain can just kick up stuff randomly, like out of nowhere. It's like, you know, T, uh, the voice of Jenny, I bet that's the robot mom from Invader Zim. You should look that up. And sure enough, it is like her voice has been in the background of like so many of the cartoons that I've listened to. And even though she has kind of a distinct voice, when you think about it, Uh she is talented as shit because I didn't know I had to look it up. So I I love that this character comes in and yeah, she has the potential of being a very grading character, but I don't remember me being graded by her. 
I, from what I recall, and this is something I'm going to watch, right? Because she is kind of an annoying character, right? She annoys our protagonists. But something I want to watch is, does it ever get to, oh my God, can Jenny just not be in an episode? And I don't remember ever thinking that. So I would like to follow this with you if they do a really good job at introducing a character that can be grading without making the character grading to the audience. And I think these guys did that with her. Well, we'll have a coach Steve scale. (laughs) Right. Like, because I mean, it's fair because big mouth was our first one. We do base a lot of what we're doing off of our experience with that. And right. Like it was almost nauseating how much we would say how tired we were of coach Steve. So uh, in a way, maybe we should make a Steve scale (laughs) for characters. Like it's just for that character. That's a sad sack. That's grading and how well they did at making the character grading without just making you wish they would kill them off. Cause we can't kill off grading people guys. We have, to, we have to live with them. Oh, no. <laughs> but that is the end of my good. It was a really good episode, though. I liked it a lot. Yeah, my good looks so lacking compared to the novel you wrote. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very verbose. It's a problem. I'm trying to be better about it. No, 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 no. You had a lot of great points. You had a lot of great points here. Um, overall, just again, the writing was really great on this episode. Um, you know, like we mentioned on the previous two episode reviews for Efforts for Family, just this feels like a lived world. And that that is really hard work for a first season show. You know, most shows don't get this good until about the third or fourth season. Think of Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation. I mean, that sh- those shows typically didn't get, start getting good until season three. And, you know, that's three seasons of 20 episodes each but that's um, our character development style though like spinoffs sometimes can have more success being you know very very loved from the bat but that's because they've had another show to help set some of that world and a lot of people will have seen that show so they don't have to explain as much but i wholeheartedly agree with you they do a great job with that on this one yeah, indeed. Also, like, I mean, we've said a lot about her already, but Mo Collins is Ginny. Like, if you've not seen her work on Matt TV, you have to. Um, and it's nice finally seeing um, Mad TV cast finally start getting some recognition, you know, because um, they've had they've <clears throat> they have a lot of talented. They had a lot of talented people on there, like Alex Borstein, um, you know, ended up going on being Lois on Family Guy and is a producer and writer on that show. Uh, you got Keen. Peel, Jordan, uh, Jordan Peel, uh, who's noted for his horror movies now, but they got their start on uh, Mad TV on uh, Mo Collins. Like I, I again love her as Stewart's mother, Stewart from Mad TV. It's like he, it's played by a guy by the name of Michael McDonald, who's about as tall as I am, but he plays a six year old boy. You know, and just you know, just everything he does is just is I funny. Don't wanna, no, I don't want to. Yeah, even, even I, can do I didn't. Yep, I didn't watch any of that stuff, and even I know. I think we always called him Baby Huey. I don't know if that was his name, but no, Stuart, that was just, Stuart. Was Stuart. That's right. But we like just referred to him as like a very Baby Huey character. I don't even know why we would call him that. But yeah, so Stuart, I remember Stuart and the mom. I did not connect that that was the same. Yes. And like I said, Joan Calamezzo from being some news anchor that's kind of a lush and has her own fallout. Like she is a very, very good actor. And I'm glad that doing this watch through has given me an opportunity to actually notice and appreciate that. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the last thing I think um, I'll mention here about good that I think was really well done was Kevin's story, um, because the first two episodes 
I, I think if, if you have to critique anything when it comes to having the first two episodes, he was a little presented a little more stereotypical in terms of how you would expect a character like him to be portrayed in a sitcom. But this, this episode, we have a little more depth with him. You know, the fact that he's slowly realizing there's more to the world than just him, I guess, as, as the, you know, for me at least gave a little more substance to that character than has been there already. So. Oh, exactly. And that is still going to take a journey like him and his father's relationships will continue to have its ebbs and flows. But you are seeing that ultimately he does know that it's his dad and his dad loves him. Indeed. Now, the bad. What would you say is bad? For me, there was a little bit like this isn't even a nitpick. This is actually something that I genuinely would pick on. And like I did end up mentioning earlier, I don't like how weed gets interpreted in our programming sometimes. And I just kind of felt like they did that with this one, um, even though for the most part they were red eyes. So some could argue that maybe he was just having some thoughts and they were showing it to mm-hmm. me. It just felt like it was being shown as a hallucinogen, which it's not. The second thing is I felt like there was some character continuity issues with Jim Jeffords. Now, Jim Jeffords is kind of racist. I I went into it earlier with how he really was nonchalantly putting his foot in his mouth with, well, women and the the Black Panthers that were on the news, like in the intro episodes, right? Like Mm -hmm. very oblivious, very free to speak, kind of that uh, showing that kind of uh, the privilege of the white man a, a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. And then I also have knowledge of how his character is in other situations later. So without spoiling too much, I will just say, I feel like he is sexist and racist as shit. And to me, it didn't seem super realistic that this is something he would have agreed to do because of some of his issues that come up later on and how he seems to have an attitude against black people. Um, So that's the only thing that got me is that this felt like a little bit of a character and like continuity issue. Could you argue that he just wanted to do it because of maybe he just really likes the attention and stuff? Sure. But he does seem to have like some disgust uh, that gets expressed. So to me, it's like, it just felt a little odd that he would be willing to dress up as something that he does seem to relate to being disgusted with. Uh, yeah, and you are, um, you know, as we've acknowledged, coming from a place of someone who's seen the entire show. Correct. Um, That's why I wanted to preface it. Like, yeah. I do know more. So yeah. to me, now re-watching it, okay, this does feel like a continuity thing. But how did you take that whole situation? Well, um, I mean, I get your point because, yeah, why would, you know, someone who doesn't particularly like Black people want to do what he did in that particular episode? But I think the key here is the news report. You know, the fact that, you know, this person is a racist. And I could see a, 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 a reporter with no morals excited about something like that because, you know, like we the news is just notorious for that they they want to it's 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 easy ratings when you can have a story like that because then people will just say that person is bad and and you know right take all of their hatred out on that person when in fact in this particular instance jim jeffords is not doing this to have a positive effect on racism in their little town he's just doing this to go 
racist and you get ratings that's oh touche i guess that does kind of make sense and then it also like i had kind of alluded to earlier it could be a projection right like see i'm not racist and i'm gonna show what real racists do so i don't know maybe i can backtrack that bad a little bit it just it rubbed (laughs) me wrong and and maybe when we get into those themes later maybe i can try to remember to come back to this and ask you it's like okay do you still think it's a continuity thing because it goes back to i don't see tucker carlson like uh going undercover as a democrat no but i think what he would do what he would do it is like and i've seen them do this before is get like a producer that nobody knows the face of and then send them undercover exactly and that's i think that's what it is is if he is the star I don't fully buy that he would have volunteered to dress up as something that he thinks is gross and then go to an area of town that is also full of people that he associates with a seeming disgust. So for me, I guess that's the two things that not only is he dressing up, he physically went to their area of town. He didn't like set a stage somewhere for himself. So I guess like, like you said, the more realistic thing in my head was that he would have sent some underling to go and do that and then just been the one to show the report. I, I mean, and, and, and again, this is, you know, nitpicking here. This is the writer in me. I guess a way I could possibly explain that is that it's this town is not being presented as a big town. It's not being presented as like a Cleveland, Ohio, or like a very big center. It feels like a small town. And if that is indeed the case, it's certainly possible that, you know, news reporters at a small town may not have, you know, access to, you know, as many interns as a place in New York City may. So uh, that's that's arguing back and forth but uh, you got something to say he does have a lackey he has somebody that ends up kind of being his co-host on a lot of things so i mean there so there is that potential for that in this world but you know they made the decisions they decided to go with Mm -hmm. um and i don't think it was necessarily like bad it just felt like character continuity issues but i'll go back to i might ask you later and see if you think the same thing still That's right. I mean, we're definitely going on a journey here. So you're going to get to know Jim Jeffords, too. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. We are at the moment of truth. It is verdict time. And I think we it's not going to be much of a spoiler. We're not going to say this episode sucks. I mean, but what do you got to say? Yay, meh or nay? It's another yay episode, um, another solid episode. They successfully introduced a few more characters, which is great because many of those will be there till the end, including Brandy for the most part. Pretty sure she's there for all the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, they also managed to have an episode contained problem to resolve, you know, a little bit with Frank and Kevin, right? They had their little thing. They had a fight. Kevin came back and kind of smoothed it over. And even though like he tried to be a butthead about it, even though he chose to play the record when they came home and then he chose to be a dick when Frank then pointed it out. But Sue was the one that said, no, we love each other. So they managed to still show like, yeah, the the fun and dysfunctional theme is still there. But that overall, but we love each other at the end of the day. Ah, soothing. That makes it okay that we treat each other like garbage sometimes. Um, That theme that I question in shows was still there. Uh, But they also deepened our understanding of some of the characters and how they tick. 
also how they are evolving, and then really kicking off into our season long-term conflict at the very end when Rosie calls for the strike after seeing Frank being labeled as a racist on the news. Mm-hmm. While I did point out what I felt to be a character continuity issue with Jim Jeffords, I will still give a shout out for overall con- continuity that his hands were white in the scene that we saw it go live. And I like stuff like that. I don't want to be like lied to, right? Like if they had made him look, yeah, like, because yeah, either way, tricked, lied to by painting, but they had done the coloring in his hands to match his face in the first initial scene. And then in the later one, when it was the news segment had them like as white hands, That's I don't like that. I don't like people tricking me like, trust me, I missed it the first time anyway. You don't need to trick people with these things. And then what's funny is it turns into a fun Easter egg, like when you go back and rewatch it. So, yes, if you didn't catch that, they did not trick you. They did not hoodwink you or like painted a different color in two different scenes. I think that kind of continuity, especially in cartoons where it's easy to fake it, was really cool. Uh, definitely a nice touch. Um, and for my verdict, I'm going to go yay as well. Um, just the, the writing is just so far really, really damn good. Um, you know, and, you know, as, as you've heard in the past episodes, do I have issues that have popped up here and there? Sure. But so far, my issues have been mostly on the nitpicking side. Like, you know, the difference between nitpicking and an actual uh, problem is like with a nitpick issue, it's just down to personal taste. And I think a lot of my issues that, that do side up, that do end up in the bad side of things are just ultimately taste issues and not anything that really needs to be worked on. You know, like I, I, I do think overall, like they could, so far there are some instances to where they're a little on a sitcom side and um, little things that they could have done a little better, but just, uh, you know, th- th- they took a lot of cues from King of the Hill and they're building upon that as well, because King of the Hill, a lot of times they, even though they did have some storylines that stretched over, a lot of those episodes were just, you know, one and done. You know, and with this one, it is nice being able to have that story that that, you know, because how because of how Netflix uh, shows their shows. This is like a book. It's a chapter in a book. We're done with chapter three. And so far, it's really, really good. Yep. And it's just starting to ramp up into some of our bigger issues. But I do like that they seem to have that nice formula of there is going to be a micro issue that we're going to solve in this episode. And then there's going to be a bigger issue that's going to play out across the season. I love that formula in a show um, because it does give you individual episode entertainment. But then it also hooks you into bigger storylines and bigger investment in your characters and, you know, your themes and your relationships between those characters and themes. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think they do a great job on this in the show in this episode. I'm excited. I, I know there was a little bit of a note from you that I think you'd felt that the strike story was a little bit sitcom-y. And I do kind oh. of understand that. But yeah. but as, as long as, you know, with as much as they have nailed without making it feel corny and sitcom-y in situations where they felt like, like it really would have been easy to, right? Mm-hmm. Like with Kevin uh, coming around at the end. I love that they managed to cover that storyline without it feeling forced corny and sitcom-y. So they're nailing it in so many ways. I can totally overlook the strike storyline um, being a little bit forced up until now, I guess I could see that. But now I think we're going to get into, now that it's kicked off, 
and the situation is happening, we're going to see how it's going to play out. Because, you know, there's a union involved, which means there will be possibly a discussion with that hmm. union. So we're not quite to the full course of what their problems are yet, but we're getting into it. And I, sh- I am sure there's going to be lots and lots of yelling when we come to that episode <laughs> I've, with the characters, not us. You know? Oh, correct. We're normally yeah. pretty good about not yelling at each other. Indeed, indeed. But I think that is going to wrap it up for us here on the TNT Review this week. Yay, we done it. Indeed, indeed. Now, season one of FS for Family is six episodes long, and we are halfway through that season. How do you think we're doing so far? So far, so good. I know there's like some of these have been a little bit longer in the beginning. We are getting into it a lot being introduced at once, right? Like uh-huh. I do. I feel like normally you would have this much knowledge of your world, like more into almost wrapping up the first season mm-hmm. um, than we do now. So it's a very rich world to unpack. So thank you guys for bearing with us as we talk for three times as long as an episode is. But honestly, I think that says a lot about them as writers, as artists, and their ability to bring us into the world, both visually with little subtle cues that might be in the background, and then how they've just absolutely nailed some of the character, like introduction and dynamic introduction. And honestly, in my opinion, the the sign of a good story is one that even in weird ways that you can relate to. And the fact that, you know, for these episodes so far, a majority of our talking about it has been how we've been able to relate to it. That says a lot about how good they are doing, you know, oh, exactly. Yeah. And also a show that's good. You're going to want to talk about it. Like, it's funny how much I want to talk about on this show. And it's like, man, there's <laughs> just a lot of content in here. Indeed, indeed. So that is why we are going to invite you to join us again next week on the TNT Review as we review episode four of F is for Family. Yes, follow along with us. It's a great show. If you haven't seen it already, I encourage binging it. I I definitely wouldn't wait and watch it with like along with us necessarily, unless that's just something that adds to your entertainment value. We'll totally do that with you. Um, But yeah, like it's so bingeable. It is such a good series. And when they left it as little as like six per season, I do think it fluctuates a little bit as we go, but it's not going to be something that you're spending a month binging to catch up on. Yeah, it's not an American TV series, you know, that would be bad, you know, reviewing something like 24 and then 20, like 24 episodes. That's, uh, that's six months worth of material for one season. And if that, yeah, like that. No, 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 that, no. Yeah, I, think, yeah, no. <laughs> I think I've got my limits and that's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not going to do American shows like that, <laughs> but Anyway, we uh, really appreciate you all t- uh, joining us on this journey on the TNT Review. Um, we also thank you if you have joined us, uh, if you have learned about this show from our uh, our uh, main show, Friends Talking Nerdy here. So um, we have a number of shows on the Friends Talking Nerdy podcast network now. We have Hump Day with Tim and the Professor. Uh, we also have Their Voices podcast, uh, a genealogy podcast that my sister does. Uh, they don't have many episodes out, and they but um, uh, the word has it. Uh, that they have finally completed the script for their latest one. So that should be out soon. Nice. Good, good deal. 
Indeed. So we thank you all for listening once again. Um, head to friendstalkingnerdy.com. We've actually uh, done some cleanup on that website, and um, we're, we're actually going to you try to utilize that a little bit more. Um, we have uh, the past five episodes from each of our shows up on the main page on the website. We have the links on where you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, any place you can go, even our, our tea public shop to where you can buy Friends Talking Nerdy merch. Yes. And then don't forget, we also recently did start uh, a Reddit, a sub forum on Reddit. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, you can join us there. Uh, we're just kind of really testing out where you guys might want to interact with us and talk to us. We're super open to having some form of interaction with you guys on this show. For example, if I ever talk out of my ass, like feel free to share an article with me or something. Let me learn something. And then you might even get a shout out of something that I learned because of you, because I'm actually super open to being wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we open invite you guys to join us on the conversation whatever channel is most comfortable for you and uh we figure once we start getting some feedback you know we'll probably maybe pick one to be a little bit more involved in but we'll see how it goes Indeed. And we do have a number of ways you can contact us, whether it be our social media links, which you can find on friendstalkingnerdy.com. What was I saying? I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's contagious. Just blame it on me. Then, blah, blah, blah. Um, also, the Reverend has garbage mouth today. <laughs> well, there's one thing we haven't uh, been able to utilize yet. We do have the ability, thanks to Anchor, for our listeners to leave us voice messages as well. Ooh, let's open that can of worms. So if you know how to leave a voice message on Anchor, Tim might include that information either uh, I, now or in the show description. So it, go it, it is already in the show description. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and, and again, like the first person I'll do it will be like a complete stranger and be like, you guys suck. But, you yeah. know, what do I know? <laughs> but we want to build this community here. We love being able to create this content for you each and every week. And um, we want to hear from you. So friendstalkingnerdy.com, um, check our show description. You'll see plenty of places you can find to uh, contact us, but we're lonely. We want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, we've, you know, we want to be that show that has some kind of relationship and interaction with people. Otherwise, you're just a talking head. Indeed, indeed. So I think we'll leave it at that. We thank you all for listening to the TNT review. We will see you again next week. Happy viewing, everybody.